So before we begin our Torah study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. So let's sharpen our insights, let's build our faith as we study together Parshat Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. When Sarah dies, which we read about this week, Abraham has nowhere to bury her. Of course, he could have found somewhere out in the desert and dug a hole to bury her somehow. But he was an immigrant, he was a foreigner, he was an alien, he had no property. He was living in a foreign land and he was actually dependent on the mercy of the people who had settled there and on the ways that they do things and their laws, their government, their system, their rules. So Abraham needs a place to, to bury Sarah. Even though God had promised that all the land of Canaan has been given to Abraham. There were several moments where the Lord said, I give all of this to you. So when the Lord says, I give it all to you, you may think you know what it means. It may have some challenging details. In fact, the land is being held in escrow for Abraham and his descendants. And in fact, the descendants of Abraham will have to go down to Egypt. And they will be there for more than four centuries. So there are, there are details that may not have been clear when the Lord said, I give it to you. So, so when the Lord says, I give it to you, there may be details. It's important to pay attention to the details in our own lives. But I noticed that Abraham does not assert the promise. He doesn't say to God, you gave me all of this and I have none of it. But rather, I think he has a sense that God is going to give the land to him in God's ways and in God's timing. Abraham is aware of his current and his actual situation as we read. So if you have Bibles with you, Genesis 23, we're going to read a passage starting in verse 1, going through verse 19. I want to encourage you to follow along. That is the very best practice, to read the scriptures as we read them. And it's even better to read them in advance so that you're familiar. Verse 1, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. These were the years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, also known as Hebron, or in English pronunciation, Hebron, Hebron. In the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn Sarah and to weep for her. And then he got up from his dead one, and he said to the sons of Het, verse 4, I am a foreigner 
living as an alien with you, meaning living as an immigrant with you, let me have a burial site with you so that I can bury my dead. Now, the Hebrew uses understandable language in when Abraham says, let me have, it's the same as saying, give it to me. And when someone says, give it to me, you generally think they mean give, free. Verse 5, the sons of Chet answered Abraham, listen to us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. So choose any of our tombs to bury your dead. Not one of us would refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Verse 7, Abraham got up, bowed before the people of the land, the sons of Chet, and he spoke with them. If it is your desire <clears throat> to help me bury my dead, then listen to me. Ask Ephron, the son of Sochar, to give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, the one at the end of his field. So now, Abraham is saying even more, if you really want to help, this is what I want you to do. Go to this particular guy who owns a particular cave and ask him to give it to me. You ask him to give it to me. And the, the Hebrew does use the, the normal language of give, give. It sounds like Abraham wants it for free. Now, all of us can identify with wanting things for free, can't we? I mean, with inflation right now, you just want things at the price they used to be. But there's actually something else going on. It sounds like Abraham wants it for free. But let's read on. This is what Abraham continues to say to them. He, Ephron, should sell it to me in your presence at its full value. And then I will have a burial site of my own. So this clarifies what Abraham is asking for. Sell it to me, sell it officially, and at full price. And then I will have a burial place that I own. And think about it, though, Abraham had been promised all the land at this moment. He owns nothing of the land. So what do we learn? It's, it's actually important, but it's very simple. Because this is a purchase process that we're reading about. And it's a very familiar Middle Eastern process. Where... It's a very polite way of indicating a desire to buy and trying to get the right price. It's not necessarily negotiating a low price in this case. That's a different process. But let's read on. Verse 10, Ephron, the Hittite, was sitting among the sons of Chet, and he gave Abraham his answer in the presence of the sons of of Chet, who belonged to the ruling council of the city. So the government guys are there. No, my Lord, listen to me. And where it says my Lord, it's probably better to say, no, sir. That would be more equivalent in English. 
But no, my Lord, listen to me. I'm giving you the field with its cave. I'm giving it to you. In the presence of my people, I give it to you. Now it sounds like he's trying to give it for free, doesn't it? Because if someone says, I'm giving it to you, it sounds that way. But something else is going on. They're engaging in a normal Middle Eastern process of buying and selling. Verse 12, Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in their hearing, please be good enough to listen to me. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And so Abraham says, I will pay. Verse 14, but Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A plot of land worth 400 silver shekels. What is that between me and you? Just bury your dead. Now, if you don't know what's going on, you might read that and think that Ephron is saying, I am really happy to give this piece of property to you. If you don't understand what's going on. But that's not what's going on. Plot of land worth 400 silver shekels. What is that between me and you? Just bury your dead. Now we understand that this is just a Middle Eastern way of communicating graciously but clearly what the actual price is. How much is the price? What's the price? 400 shekels. That's right. 400 shekels of silver. And at this point in history, a shekel was a measure. It wasn't yet a coin. Verse 16, Abraham got the point of what Ephron had said, so he weighed out for Ephron the amount of money he had specified in the presence of the sons of Chet, 400 silver shekels of the weight accepted among merchants. David Stern, a blessed memory, says it's about 10 pounds, 10 pounds of silver. So Abraham understood what was going on. Ephron understood what was going on. All of them understood what was going on. It was just a normal Middle Eastern, very polite way of communicating a desire to buy, a willingness to sell, and the actual price and an agreement to the price. Just an aside... It's, it's good to be familiar with this if you ever go to Israel and you're shopping. I had an experience in the shuk in Jerusalem, Machanei Yehuda. And I was good with smaller numbers in Hebrew, but some of the larger numbers I had difficulty with. And Israelis talk fast. Have you noticed that? In fact, everybody who speaks a foreign language talks fast when you're hearing them. And so I was wanting to buy some fruit of some sort, some dried figs or something. And I went to this Jewish merchant and I said, how much? And he gave me his price. But it sort of blurred. And my numbers in Hebrew were not working quite right. And so I offered him my price. 
And he said, yes, of course. And quickly sold it to me without any further negotiation. And after I'm paying him, I realized, I thought about what had just happened. I asked his price, and he said 340, which meant three shekels and 40, I don't even remember what the, the equivalent of pennies or cents were, but he said 340, and I said no. Four. <laughs> so I raised the price. And as soon as we consummated the sale, all the other vendors in the market who were within earshot wanted to sell to me. <laughs> as you can imagine. So Back to this passage. It's important to understand what's going on. It's important to be familiar with it, or you'll read this and you really won't comprehend what the process is and what's taking place. So it, it also connects to this word give. But you might not recognize that not only in Hebrew, but in English, we can use the word give as a substitute for pay, or for sell. I'll give examples to make it clear. A buyer could say, I'll give you $50 for that. Right? And what does give mean? Pay. At that point, it's, it's, I'll give you 50. And if the seller says, I can give it to you for 75. You're not confused because you're not saying, but you said give. And then you said $75. You understand he's using give to mean sell, right? And it happens in such a familiar way to us, we don't even think about it. I'll give you this for that. Oh, you can give me more. So, in, in Hebrew and in English, the word give can have multiple meanings. It's important to grasp that. And when, the, when Ephron is saying, what is, what is this between us? It's only 400 shekels of silver. I can give it to you. Abraham understands that Ephron is saying, I'll give it to you for 400 shekels of silver. That's how Abraham heard it. And it was very polite. There was no further negotiation. There was just agreement. And Abraham paid the full price as he expected to. Now, receiving for free can be our favorite price. How many people like free? And sometimes we may interpret a low price as good, and we may automatically think that free or low price means something is from the Lord. It was, it was a bargain. So it must have been from the Lord. But Abraham didn't think this way. He wanted to pay in full, and there were, there were reasons for it, which are explained in the text. The reason is, he's a foreigner. 
and he doesn't own property, and he wants to buy property officially. He wants to have it held on to permanently. He wants it to be his. He wants there to be no question, so it's done in public, in front of the governing folks, and it's done in a way that's appropriate according to the rules. It's not under the table. It's not informal. It's correct. And he wanted to pay in full so he could own the land permanently. So when God said to Abraham, I give this to you, Abraham understood some of the receiving of what God was giving required that Abraham would have to pay money for it. That there would be a price to pay. It's useful to grasp that. And let's read on. Verse 17. Thus, or in this way, the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which is by Mamre, the field, its cave, and all the trees in and around it were deeded to Abraham. He got a deed as his possession in the presence of the sons of Chet, who belonged to the ruling council of the city. So now we get clarification. This is really an official transaction that's taking place. Do you see that? Verse 19, Then Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah by Mamre, also known as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field in its cave had been purchased by Abraham from the sons of Chet as a burial site which would belong to him. And perhaps Abraham understood that if it were done informally, not correctly, if it were done for a small price, it would be more like he was renting the space. But to this day, the cave of Machpelah in Hebron is known to be the place where Sarah was buried as well as Abraham. That place still exists. It's still known to be what it is. And Machpelah has a meaning of like a double cave because there is a back cave area to it that's been recognized. So Abraham, Sarah, other patriarchs and their wives, not Rachel, uh, were buried there. So it's still there. What Abraham hoped to establish was actually fulfilled. Now, King David also faced a similar situation with buying property. David had to buy land so he could give it to the Lord. It's in 1 Chronicles 21, verses 18 through 30. We won't be able to look at the whole context and all that sets up the situation, but it's, to me, it's interesting. It says, then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arnon the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now, in English translations, the name mentioned here that I pronounced Gad is spelled G-A-D, Right? But the normal pronunciation for this name in Hebrew is God. 
But if you say God in English to English speakers, they think you're talking about God, not Gad. So I'll use Gad. So you don't think I'm talking about God. But for all the Hebrew speakers, now you know why. So the angel of the Lord ordered this man Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord. So David heard a word that the Lord gave to him through someone else. It's an interesting subtext to this. Gad received the word through the angel of the Lord. And often, most of the time, when the scripture speaks of the angel of the Lord, it's actually using a polite phrase to mean the Lord who was appearing in time-space reality in a way that could be perceived uh, using our normal senses. And on many occasions, when the Lord came as the angel of the Lord, he was perceived as a man. But there were some occasions when he was perceived as an angel, and then a man was like, is he an angel? Is he a man? Is it the Lord? And the answer is, yeah. He was perceived in all those ways. So Gad receives the word through the angel of the Lord, and I want you to just note what's so simple that you may not have paid attention to it, Gad heard the word. So what does that mean? It became a sound that could be heard and then could be repeated. Now, you might think that it was a private spiritual experience, kind of subjective, supernatural, private experience, but it was actually something else in as we read on, you'll see that the angel of the Lord was also visible to Arnon. And apparently his four sons could also see the angel of the Lord. So verse 20 continues this. While Arnon was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. So in other words, while he was actually doing his work, he turned and he saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. And then David approached, and when Arnon looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. So pay attention to this, because this is an example, I believe, of the Lord appearing, coming into our time-space world, the world which he has created, but which he is outside of, but he has uniquely as God the ability to enter into his creation and then to engage with his creatures, the ones he's made. And that's what's going on. So it's not just the subjective, supernatural, private experience that you know, you can say, well, the Lord spoke to my heart. Have you ever said that? The Lord, I, I heard the Lord in a spiritual way. That's not exactly what's happening. 
What's happening is, with real eyeballs, they saw. With real ears, they heard. And you can imagine that this would be an awesome experience, yes? Awesome, even fearful. In verse 22, so David says to Arnon, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Let me have. Now we have the connection between what Abraham was doing. Let me have. And in Hebrew, it, it says clearly, give it to me. Give to me the site of your threshing floor. Let me have this place. Give it to me. And you might think that David wants it for free. And then there's this whole spiritual element so that I can build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be stopped. And then remember, there's this fearful moment. The angel of the Lord is there. It's, it's awesome. Wherever God shows up, it produces awe. So Arnon could be struck by the fear of the Lord, struck with awe and saying, okay, you can have it. You can have it. I don't want it anymore. You take it. It's yours. And it could sound like David is asking in this particular moment for a donation. Do you see what I'm saying? But let's look at the rest of that verse. Sell it to me at the full price. That makes it clear. Sell it to me at the full price. That clarifies what David means. That's his position. But Arnon says to David, take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I'll give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give all of this too. You can, you can have the place. You can have the oxen. You can have all of it. No charge. I give it to you for free. Many believers would say, that's from the Lord. They wanted to give it, and so I received it. But King David replied to Arnon, verse 24, no, I insist on paying what? The full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. So David says no, and he gives two reasons. I won't take for the Lord what is yours, and I won't make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Verse 25, so David paid Arnon 600 shekels of gold for the site. David paid, and remember, what was the price of Machpelah, the cave? 400 shekels of silver. This is 600 shekels of, of gold. That's a lot more. Gold is much more precious than silver. David paid. Verse 26, David built an, built an altar to the Lord there, and he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. So David did build the altar. He did make the sacrifices. 
And he called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. So David called on the Lord, the Lord answered him, and this was a spiritual process that helped restore David to the Lord. David didn't want a bargain. To be restored to the Lord was precious to him. And to have the opportunity to do things right and correct and in a healthy way with the Lord, this meant a lot. So Abraham and David knew this, that free isn't always free. And free isn't always good. When the Lord asks for something, it will cost us. When the Lord promises something, it will cost us. And King David understood that, and he wanted to pray full price. He said, I can't offer to the Lord what's actually yours. You can offer it to the Lord, but I can't. And I can't offer to the Lord as my offering what costs me nothing. Now I want to shift to a related question. So what about the free gift of salvation? What does it mean, the free gift of salvation? I think it means this, that salvation from God is freely given by God. But it's freely given because the Lord has paid the full price for our salvation. He paid full price for us. Quickly, we'll go through some scriptures that speak to this. Luke 23, verse 46, And Yeshua gave a loud cry and said, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. And when he said this, he gave up his spirit. This was at the moment of crucifixion where the Lord was paying a price. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Sometimes Jewish people will ask me, you really believe in the Messiah? And they'll either use Jesus or Yeshua, same person referring to the Messiah. And I'll say it's worse than you think. I not only believe he's Messiah, he's Adonai. Because there's one God. Adonai Echad. There's one God, and there is absolute unity between God as Father and God as Son and God as Holy Spirit. And it may, it may challenge the modern mind to grasp that. But there's, there's reality to that. And there are other things that are just as challenging that aren't theological but have to do with the nature of the universe, that have to do with entangled um, 
protons and such matters, subatomic particles that are entangled. And the weird thing about these particles is they can be separated so far apart, but what happens to one happens to the other at exactly the same time. Which doesn't make sense because we understood that energy can only move at the speed of light. That's the fastest it can move. But this is faster than the speed of light. And so how is it? Well, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to pretend to be one. But I follow the discussions that they're having about this and the reality of entanglement. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting that two things that are separate in the way they present in the time-space physical world can actually be regarded almost as one thing. And I thought, that's interesting science, isn't it? But it's also interested, interesting theology, and it's the idea of echad, that the Holy Spirit can be present somewhere. And yet that's not the only place the Holy Spirit is present. And the Lord can be in a place, but that doesn't mean that's the only place he is. But he can fully be in that place, but it's not the only place. He's different from you and me. The Father and the Son are one. They're entangled, if you think of it that way. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is speaking of the price that's paid. It's a ransom price. It's the price to purchase out of slavery. The Lord looked at each of us and saw us in need of being rescued and delivered and saved and brought out of slavery of every kind, of bondage of every kind. Not just bondage in Egypt, but bondage in the present evil world that we live in. And the Lord did not try to negotiate down the price. He looked at you and me and said, I'll pay full price for them. Now, you might look at some of the people around you, and you might know some people, and you might say, I know that person. I would never pay full price for him. He's not worth it. And you may have a lack of personal worth and self-esteem for whatever you've suffered or however people have treated you, and you may think you're not worth it. But when the Lord was paying a price for you, he paid full price. John 3, verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here we have the word gave. Don't confuse that. Don't think it didn't cost anything to the Lord for him to give up himself. What did it cost the Lord? 
It costs him so much that Yeshua teaches us to count the costs if we want to be his disciples. We have to learn to count the costs. It will cost us. And it's important that we recognize the full value of Yeshua's sacrifice or we cheapen everything. And if we cheapen everything, it will mean much less to us. To know that that God was willing to suffer for us and to pay the price for us and to pay full price for us because he's so good. Not because we're so good. That's what God said so many times to Israel. It's not because you're so good. It's because I've promised and I'm faithful. It's not that Yeshua was a good teacher and he was a good prophet and a good man and and he he was so good he became God. That's not it. It's this, that God is so good that he became one of us. He came down into the suffering of our world in order to enter in, in order to become one of us, in order to pay the price for us. Because that was the way to do it. That was the only way to do it. Full price. The Lord paid full price. Abraham paid full price. David paid full price. Yeshua says, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. Because every day, as Eric Painter spoke about last week, every day, not just once, every day, we make decisions that reflect the condition of our heart. And when we realize how much it has cost the Lord, then we choose well. We don't say, I'll give you a little less for that. The Lord is not only our creator, he is our possessor. He possesses us. He has full rights to us. And when we repent and return to him, we're acknowledging that, that we were lost, we were taken away, We were held captive. We have been ransomed. We have been bought back. He has paid the price. We couldn't buy ourselves out. He did. And we're valuing that. And not just for ourselves, but for one another. And we're saying the Lord paid the price for you too. He loves you too. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that we'll have a heart to pay the full price that you teach us about as Yeshua's disciples and that we ourselves will have gratitude and appreciation for what you have done for us and what you are doing for us and what you will do for us. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude and appreciation in Yeshua's name. Amen.